um, to, again, be reminded of the love that God demonstrated toward us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Um, I was thinking about one thing, and that is um, what's really been on my mind is this, the topic of forgiveness. Because I think we have um, sometimes a skewed perspective. Um, it's, it's kind of off as far as forgiveness is concerned. Um, and the reason why I bring that up is because that's one of the statements that Jesus made from the cross, right? He, um, he said from the cross, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And oftentimes we look to that, and we use that as a verse to demonstrate that we, too, ought to forgive others in the same manner. That is true. That is true. But it, it kind of compelled me to do a deeper study of forgiveness, which I won't give you this evening, but I will present at some other time. And I'm not sure whether it will be um, in a video because I'm just going to take my time and go through it or I'll do it on another evening. Because one of the things that we know is that he calls us to repentance. He rebukes us through his word. He brings us conviction so that we may confess and repent. True? First John 1 nine says that if, if, it's conditional, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and cleanse us of all unrighteousness. Let's go back to that statement that he made from the cross. Father, forgive them. But what's the rest of it? they know not what they do. What about all those who do know, know, do know what they do? Eh? Think about it, right? We need to think about these things because that's called transgression. That is a, a willful disobedience of the word of God. And so those are the things that I, I'm going to um, unpackage. I'm going to bring out at some point, but I'm going to be working on that. And of course, it's going to be topical but it's going to be on the topic of forgiveness so that we have a a good, sound, biblical understanding of what forgiveness, uh, when it's demanded, uh, when it's applicable, and how it is that we ought to handle that that action, that is forgiveness. All right, so anyway, that just came to mind. I wanted to put that out. I've been thinking a lot about that, and the Lord's really been laying upon my heart just different verses um, that would lend um, to that study, and um, and hopefully that'll be a blessing to the church. So, uh, <clears throat> what we do have coming up is this Sunday we have a couple of things: baptism and foundation class, all on the same day. This Sunday after service, or actually during service, it's going to be part of the service. We're going to have the baptism, and so if anyone here or anyone you know wants to be baptized, uh, now is the, a great time to let us know so that we can plan we can organize for the baptism because we try and make it really special um and uh, for everyone for those who are being baptized and also for those who are coming um to witness the baptism of that person and so that's this sunday during the 9 a.m service we're going to have the baptism we also have a foundations class that's um also starting that day so it's uh, one of three um so after service after the baptism uh, what we'll do is we'll go over to P1, which is the other suite that we have, and uh, that's where we'll, where we'll conduct the foundations class. Uh, we also have a food box delivery this Saturday, April 10th, and that's at 8.30 a.m. Um, so <clears throat> if you have any questions about that, you can see me afterwards, um, and uh, that way I can give you the details and contact information for George and Ruby uh, to let them know that uh, either you have questions or you'll be going. So that's what we have going on this week. Um, well, tonight, if you're not there already, um, turn to First, First Kings uh, chapter 12. Uh, in tonight's study, we'll be learning about Rehoboam's assumption of the throne of Israel. Uh, Rehoboam is the son of Solomon, grandson of King David. Uh, but we'll also, unfortunately, see the kingdom divided. So we'll see ten tribes uh, that will be regarded as the northern kingdom. And then the two tribes, uh, Judah and Benjamin, which would be will be known as the southern, uh, will be known as the southern kingdom. Uh, we'll also see this in this chapter this evening how it is that the northern kingdom entered into idolatry and uh, in basically a false system of worship was set up 
um, by Jeroboam and all the people um, just willingly accepted it and received it and participated in it. And, uh, and so, you know, all through this, uh, we do see just a, a people, unfortunately, that, that are unfaithful. But at the same time, what we need to always keep in mind as we go through the study of God's word is who God is in the midst of it all. Because God doesn't change. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. And so even though God's people may be faithless, even though they may desire the things of the other nations, as far as kings and systems and all of that, it really makes no difference because, because as far as God is concerned, because He is faithful. He always has been faithful, is faithful, and always will be faithful. And so that's for us something that we need to understand. It's a constant. He is a constant in our lives. He will always be there, and we can count on his word and apply it to our lives to really our benefit and to his glory. And so keep your eyes, keep your eyes focused on the Lord in and through this whole study. Father, we commit this time into your hands, Lord. We ask your blessing, Father, that you would fill us with your Holy Spirit Give us understanding. Teach us all these things and help us, Lord, to figure out how it is that perhaps these things could serve as as knowledge, as understanding um, to help us in its application on down the road in our lives or perhaps in situations that we find ourselves in at this very moment or even to give good sound counsel to others if they are in predicaments that are in need of what we learned this evening. And so whatever it is, Lord, we ask that you would speak to us and that you would give us minds to understand um, what we have before us in Scripture. And so we commit this time into your hands, Lord. We ask your blessing. And we all said, Amen. Right? All right. So 1 Kings chapter 12, verse 1, Rehoboam, he went to Shechem. For all Israel had come to Shechem to make him king. And as soon as Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, heard of it, for he was still in Egypt, where he had fled from King Solomon, then Jeroboam returned from Egypt. And they sent and called him, and Jeroboam and all the assembly of Israel came and said to Rehoboam, Your father made our yoke heavy. Now therefore lighten the hard service of your father and his heavy yoke on us, and we will serve you. He said to them, Go away for three days, then come again to me. So the people went away. All right, so again, Rehoboam is the son of Solomon, grandson of King David. Uh, he would uh, basically continue the Davidic line. And we know that Solomon had, um, you can imagine, 700 wives, 300 concubines. And even though he had all of these uh, wives and concubines, there's only mention of one, and that is Rehoboam, that is the man who assumed the throne of Israel. Now, surely, if you think about it, this one man out of all of the children that uh, the wives and concubines of, of King David bore, that perhaps there would be more to choose from, right? But the line is through Solomon. Solomon had Rehoboam, and Rehoboam would be the one that God chose, but even that one, you would think that that one man would rule well, right? And he would continue to grow the kingdom that his father had built. It was a, a great kingdom, one that, remember, all the kings of all the other nations would come. And they were in awe of, number one, Solomon's wisdom. And number two, just the, the richness, just the, the absolute, um, uh, just uh, amazing buildings and the things, the temple and, uh, and Solomon's, uh, I mean, everything was just absolutely amazing. And people would come from all over the world. They would seek Solomon's wisdom, and they would hear him out. And they would all say, this is far beyond what we could ever uh, think or imagine, you know, as far as the, the God blessing you and the things that we had heard this far exceeds. Well, here's Solomon's son. And again, we would expect that this man would have been a man that followed in the footsteps of his father and would rule well and continue to grow the kingdom. 
But let's see exactly what happens here. Now, Jeroboam is mentioned. Jeroboam was a man who uh, had been told a few details in regards to what was going to happen. He fled to Egypt, but he was he was uh, referred to, um, he was identified as a very capable man. In other words, he was competent to lead and to excel in organizational management. Uh, he was able to lead people well. Uh, this was something that King Solomon had discerned, he had identified, and this was the very reason why he had given him charge over the labor force of Joseph as we look back at um, the previous chapter. Now, this same man, Jeroboam, um, had been approached by a prophet by the name of Aijah. He had prophesied that Jeroboam uh, would be given ten tribes and Rehoboam would be left with two. Uh, One tribe that had to do with God's servant, and that is Judah. Um, let's go back and read that account in 1 Kings chapter 11, verse 29. It says, And at that time when Jeroboam went out of Jerusalem, the prophet Aijah, the, the Shilonite, found him on the road. Now, Aijah had dressed himself in a new garment, and the two of them were alone in the open country. Then Aijah laid hold of the new garment that was on him and tore it into twelve pieces. And he said to Jeroboam, Take for yourself ten pieces, for thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, Behold, I am about to tear the kingdom from the hand of Solomon, and will give you ten tribes. But he shall have one tribe for the sake of my servant David, and for the sake of Jerusalem, the city that I have chosen out of all the tribes of Israel. Because they have forsaken me, and worshipped Ashereth, the goddess of the Sidonians, Jamash, the god of Moab, and Milcom, the god of the Ammonites, and they have not walked in the ways in my ways, doing what is right in my sight and keeping my statutes and my rules, as David his father did. Nevertheless, I will not take the whole kingdom out of his hand, but I will make him ruler all the days of his life for the sake of David my servant, whom I chose, who kept my commandments and my statutes. But I will take the kingdom out of his son's hand and will give it to you. Ten tribes... Yet to a son I will give one tribe, that David, my servant, may always have a lamp before me in Jerusalem, the city where I have chosen to put my name. And so just to have a reminder, get a reminder of what took place when the prophet Isaiah prophesied to Jeroboam that the kingdom would be torn from the hand of Rehoboam and given to Jeroboam. So ten tribes, the northern tribes, would be given to Jeroboam. Now, King Solomon learned of this, of this encounter between the prophet and Jeroboam. And we know that Solomon sought to kill Jeroboam. And so it's for that reason that Jeroboam, he left. He skipped town and he went down to Egypt and he stayed there until Solomon's death. So now... Jeroboam returns to Israel, and uh, he and the, the leading men of the ten tribes of the north call on Rehoboam to, at, to come to Shechem uh, to discuss governmental issues with him. Now, Jeroboam, it says, and all the assembly of Israel communicated to Rehoboam that Solomon had made things difficult for the people, stating that Solomon had placed a, a, a heavy yoke on them, made uh, their yoke heavy. The kingdom itself was amazing, but apparently came at great cost to the people. Perhaps what we're learning here is what they were asking for is that maybe Rehoboam would would ease some burdens that Solomon had placed on them. Maybe physical work requirements, those required, required of them as servants of the kingdom. Uh, Perhaps they requested relief in taxation. And in exchange for this, they said, we'll we'll serve you. Uh, The yoke is heavy, but if you will relieve us of some of this burden, then by all means, we'll serve you loyally is what they were saying. So they're asking Rehoboam to consider these things. If Rehoboam agreed to lighten the load a bit, they said they would loyally serve him. But Rehoboam said, go away for three days, come back. And he sent them away. I imagine during this time, 
at that point, you would think he wanted to send them away so that he could seek counsel and so that he could decide on what answer to give. You know, Proverbs eleven fourteen. sometimes we're very quick to make decisions. And, and uh, there are times to make decisions right away and other times when we ought to take our time in making those decisions. Proverbs eleven fourteen says, Where there is no guidance, a people falls, but in an abundance of counselors, there is safety. Proverbs fifteen twenty two says, Without counsel, plans fail, but with many advisors, they succeed. But we have more because you and I both know that we can surround ourselves with counselors. We can surround ourselves with people that advise us, right? But it matters the quality of our counselors and our advisors. That's why we, ha- we need to take uh, the, the whole counsel of God into, into account. Because Proverbs 24, 5, and 6 says, A wise man is full of strength, and a man of knowledge enhances his might. For by wise guidance, you can wage your war, and in abundance of counselors, there is victory. The key is wise, wise counselors. Because you can surround yourself with foolish counselors, and it will do you no good. People who just simply agree with you. The key is discerning when someone is giving you wise counsel and when they are not. So as we consider this, I wanted to bring this up because Rehoboam said he wanted, he wanted three days. He wanted three days to seek counsel, and then he'll come back and he'll provide his decision to that which they brought to his attention. He would give them an answer. So let's see if Rehoboam has the discernment to know the difference. The question for us is, we even consider what Rehoboam is doing is, do we have that discernment? Have we surrounded ourselves with people who are willing to give us the truth? And how do you know that you have discernment? That's a question. I'll I'll follow up with it. Do you know you have discernment? And if you do, how do you know? What's the standard? Verse 6, let's go on. Because this is during the three days that the people gave to Rehoboam to seek counsel. Verse 6 says, Then King Rehoboam took counsel with the old men who had stood before Solomon his father while he was yet still alive, saying, How do you advise me to answer this people? And they said to him, If you will be a servant to this people today and serve them and speak good words to them, when you answer them, then they will be your servants forever. Let's stop there because this is the counsel given by um, the elders that served his father. These were his father's advisors. Uh, this was absolutely wise for Rehoboam to do. Uh, these men had been around for a while, and perhaps understood people more than anyone else, having dealt with many situations throughout Solomon's reign and actually seen how things worked out after given, uh, being given certain counsel. So they not only saw Solomon give counsel, they themselves giving counsel, but they also saw the results of that counsel. So this was very wise for Rehoboam to seek the counsel of those who had advised his father. For us today, we need to actually nurture this type of counsel. And I always desire for that to be nurtured within the fellowship. That the older would give counsel to the younger, and the younger would pay attention and learn from the older. You know, in Titus chapter 2, verses 1 and 2, and then 6 and 8, because the portion in between there is addressed to women. But let's address the men, because in Titus chapter 2, verses 1 and 2, it says, But as for you, teach what accords with sound doctrine. Older men are to be sober-minded, dignified, self-controlled, sound in faith, in love, and in steadfastness. And skipping down to verse 6, Likewise urge the younger men to be self-controlled. Show yourself in all respects to be a model of good works, and in your teaching show integrity, dignity, and sound speech that cannot be condemned, so that an opponent may be put to shame, having nothing evil to say about us. That speaks of the older speaking into the younger. This, has, this, this is uh, to be applied uh, with men and, and women, with boys and girls. 
this, is, this should be the very thing that we practice here within the fellowship. So their counsel is what we're looking for. What was their counsel? It's interesting because even though the people said that um, Solomon had placed a heavy yoke upon them, what their counsel was is be a servant. Interesting, right? Be a servant. Serve them and they will be your servants forever. Serve them. In other words, meet their needs. What, what are their needs? Meet their needs. Tend to them. You know, Jesus said in Matthew 23, 11, the greatest among you shall be your servant. The greatest among you shall be your servant. Uh, in the world's eyes or in God's eyes. You know, for us, we want to be faithful to the Lord. We want to be regarded as faithful to the Lord. And so in God's eyes... The greatest among you shall be your servant. In Mark chapter 9, verse 35, it says, And he sat down and called the twelve. So this is Jesus calling the twelve. And he said to them, If anyone would be first, he must be last of all and servant of all. So it's not considering yourself, it's considering others perhaps even at times at your expense, to serve them, to go out of your way. We ought to seek to serve consistently and continuously for the benefit of others. We, we ought to give of ourselves and never tire of doing good, for in due season, if we do not give up, we will reap a reward, right? It's not a reward here on heaven. Here on earth, I mean. It, it's, it's something that we will realize in heaven. We ought to be laying up treasure in heaven. And so we should serve others. We should serve the Lord in doing that and do so consistently and continuously for the benefit of others and for the glory of God. Now, what we have here from these elders to Rehoboam is sound counsel. In other words, they told Rehoboam to figure out how to serve their needs to listen to what they consider to be a, a heavy yoke and search for ways to relieve them of that heavy yoke. You know, for you and I, how is it that we can uh, achieve rest or an easy yoke or a light burden? Is it in things of the world? Is it in hobbies? Is it in... What is it in? It's in the person of Jesus Christ. That's the only way that we will find rest an easy yoke and a light burden. You know, in Matthew chapter 11, verses 28 through 30, Jesus said, Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gent gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Anytime anyone comes to you with a heavy burden, is filled with worry and anxiety, doesn't know where to go for the answer, always point them to Jesus Christ. That is how you can best serve them, in, is pointing them to Jesus Christ. You know, this afternoon prior to coming here, I had to text my wife, Bettina, and tell her, you know what, I'm going to be running a little late. And that is because I was going to meet with the parents of a little boy that hadn't made it through but 18 weeks of pregnancy. And this mother was holding their son. When I walked in, the nurses were preparing this little baby. What can I tell parents in that moment that would ease that yoke and lighten that burden? What can I tell them? What can I possibly offer to them I have nothing, and I tell 100% of them, I have nothing to offer you. Nothing. Oftentimes, our words fail us. I, I don't know what to tell you that would bring you a, a peace or bring you comfort. But what I can share with you is Jesus Christ. And as I was talking to them about the Lord and you know, we, we don't have answers for everything. We really don't. 
But as I reminded him, because we have four boys ourselves, and I remember, I remember playing with Isaac and Isaiah, who's in youth, and I remember playing with them while they were in the womb. I remember taking that time and pushing, and then they'd push back. They'd move. They didn't like Dad poking at them. But it was a precious time to where I, I remember doing it. You remember that? Poke at them and they'd move. And, and so I told this mom, listen, the Lord bless you with having carried this precious life in your womb for 18 weeks. So one day, just as King David lost his first and he realized my son cannot come to me, but one day I will be where he is. And she, you could see this sense of just like this weight come off of her. And it was because she was, she was reminded of the fact that God is faithful. This little boy is in the presence of the Lord. You see, we can't take any of that burden away. Jesus does. Jesus lifts that, that, the, the, the weight of that yoke and the burden and, and gives us uh, comfort in the times that we need comfort, strength when we need strength, to carry us when we need to be carried. He's faithful. He comes alongside us. Jesus is our rest. And so, for us, we know, as we look at this, perhaps they didn't, at the Rehoboam didn't at the time, but the counsel that he was being given by the elders, by the advisors of his father, was sound counsel. The question is, did Rehoboam take their counsel? Well, verse 8, as we continue, says, But he abandoned the counsel that the old men gave him and took counsel with the young men who had grown up with him and stood before him. And he said to them, What do you advise that we answer this people who have said to me, Lighten the yoke that your father put on us? And the young men who had grown up with him said to him, Thus shall you speak to this people who said to you, Your father made our yoke heavy, but you lighten it for us. Thus shall you say to them, My little finger is thicker than my father's thighs. And now, whereas my father laid on you a heavy yoke, I will add to your yoke. My father disciplined you with whips, but I will discipline you with scorpions. Did Rehoboam take the elders' counsel? No. He rejected the elders' counsel and instead adopted the bad advice of his peers. One of the reasons why I think segregating certain age groups within church making a church of the young adults over here. And it's just, it's, it's not biblical and it's not sound. You kind of isolate yourselves to where you don't allow the elders to pour into you. Even consider them. Why would you even respect their, their counsel if you don't interact with them at all? You don't serve alongside them. Rehoboam took the counsel of his peers rejected the counsel of the elders. Basically, they told him to act like a dictator who has no compassion and no mercy. Show no compassion, show no mercy. That's strength. They gave counsel like as if they were the aristocracy and the people were simple subjects that were to take whatever they were given. And by the way, make sure you're grateful. If they thought they had a heavy yoke with Solomon... Solomon, it would be even heavier under his reign. On the discipline, he whips scorpions. That's what I'll give you. In other words, it'll be heavy. Stand by. They were telling him to show them who's in charge and don't let them forget it. By the way, this is actually what Rehoboam wanted all along. James 4.1 says, what causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? For us, <clears throat> these little fires can flare up at any time. We're, we're a people who are full of ourselves. 
We need to be reminded who God is and who we are not. We need to humble ourselves before him. You see, we need to be cognizant or aware of the passions that are at war within you. We need to be aware of that when there's conflict. Galatians 5, 16 and 17 says, But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. It's interesting because this is the very thing that we need to be aware of. When this starts happening within our own hearts, we need to realize that that there's a battle that's happening, and we need to discern between what is of the flesh and what is of the spirit. And the thing that we want to do, we ought to yield to, and that is of the spirit and not of the flesh. Well, we see Rehoboam do what is actually very common today. Rehoboam shopped for the advice he wanted and got it and went with it. I see this all the time. Not only in the world, but in the church itself. People won't generally go get advice from someone who's willing to give them the truth. They will instead think about who is going to agree with them and go to them. I, I, got, I have to say this. Why don't people first, you know, because how many of you regard me as your pastor? I'm just wondering. Because, no, but you know, sincerely, a lot of people don't. They sit in those chairs, but they really don't. And here's, here's why I know that. I'm supposed to watch over you. I'm supposed to give you good sound counsel. And yet I'm oftentimes the last one someone will, in, will, will come to and tell me about. These are the things I'm struggling with or kind of the things I'm praying about. In the end, I, all I'm told is what they're going to do. It's like, well, you didn't, never gave me the opportunity to come alongside you and give you any counsel. Who did you seek counsel from? That's why I say that. I'm here to serve you. I really am genuinely here to serve you. But we can't mutually benefit each other and be a blessing to each other unless you allow me to. And I fear God, and I wouldn't dare give you knowingly unsound advice that is unbiblical. And if I do, I'll repent and I'll confess that. But give me a chance. That's why I ask that, because people oftentimes shop for advice. They shop for people who will agree with them. People who will just go right along with them. Or sometimes they'll be given sound advice and they'll give it a little nod. Okay, I heard you. And and then they'll say that they'll seek the Lord in it all. When they just got biblical advice. Sound counsel. I'll say, well, I, I need to pray about that. Like, why, why would you need to pray about that? Like, if my wife were to tell me, that's wrong. You're, you're wrong there. And why, why, why am I wrong? Right? Well, because the word of God says this. Well, I need to pray about that. And figure out whether I want to agree with you or not. Well, it has nothing to do with agreeing with her. It has to do with agreeing with the Lord. Agreeing with the word of God. But some say that they will seek the Lord in it all and, and then go get the advice they agree with. And then, the, and then they'll say that it's confirmed another way. This is Rehoboam. Do you not see the picture? This is Rehoboam. He got good sound counsel and then he went to others who agreed with him. He in three days was, quote unquote, praying about it, right? But it was confirmed another way. All I can say, all I can tell you is, let's be aware of this type of activity. These things that we can fall to. Anyone can. Every, any one of us can fall to that. We need to be careful. 
Remember Proverbs 27, 5 and 6 says, Better is open rebuke than hidden love. I'm going to repeat that. Better is open rebuke than hidden love. Verse 6, number 2, Faithful are the wounds of a friend, profuse are the kisses of an enemy. Important, if you don't have friends who every now and then make you mad <laughs> because they tell you the truth and, and, and all they do is just tell you what you want to hear, then be careful. Faithful are the wounds of a friend, profuse are the kisses of an enemy. Better is open rebuke than hidden love. Hold friends close and be a friend. So although Rehoboam grew up with these fellows, I can honestly say they were not his friends. Friends don't do this. Proverbs 18.24 says in the NIV, one who has unreliable friends soon comes to ruin, but there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. Let's continue verse 12. So Jeroboam and all the people came to Rehoboam the third day, as the king said, come to me again the third day. And the king answered the people harshly and forsaking the counsel that the old men had given him. He spoke to them according to the counsel of the young men, saying, my father made your yoke heavy, but I will add to your yoke. My father disciplined you with whips, but I will discipline you with scorpions. So the king did not listen to the people, for it was a turn of affairs brought about by the Lord that he might fulfill his word, which the Lord spoke by Aijah the Shilonite to Jeroboam the son of Nebat. So, so we see here, as, as we know, Rehoboam did not consider the request of the people. Instead, uh, he rejected the counsel of the elders, and he simply repeated the counsel that he was given by his peers. Rehoboam here reveals that he is not a wise king, but a foolish one. Rehoboam chose to say and do what he did. And as we read here, God allowed it to bring about a whole series of events that will follow as was prophesied by the prophet Isaiah. As the word that was given to the prophet Isaiah and prophesied to uh, Jeroboam, so it was going to come to pass. You know, C.H. Spurgeon said this, quote, Notice also, dear friends, that God is in events which are produced by the sin and the stupidity of men. This breaking up of the kingdom of Solomon into two parts was a result of Solomon's sin and Rehoboam's folly, yet God was in it. This thing is from me, saith the Lord. God had nothing to do with the sin or the folly, but in some way which we can never explain, in a mysterious way in which we are to believe without hesitation, God was in it all, close quote. You know, we think about situations like Joseph. You remember Joseph, what happened to Joseph? Joseph was sold into slavery. But he came into a place of prominence, a, a man who was second to Pharaoh. And, it, and what we know, according to the end of Genesis is what they meant for evil, God meant for good. It, you know, the freedom of his family and many others came at the cost of Joseph's freedom. Genesis chapter 50, verse 20 says, As for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good, to bring it about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. God was in it. Even though Joseph was sold into slavery, even though he was hated by his brothers, even though he went to Egypt being sold into slavery, what they meant for evil, God meant for good. He was still in it. Even though God allows us to choose certain things, God is still in it. Some things as an example, some things as a teaching or a rebuke, but God is still in it. You know, Romans 8, 28 says, And we know that for those who love God... All things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. God was indeed in it all. Even in this situation with Rehoboam. In this situation with him neglecting or rejecting the counsel of sound the, the elders. 
of Israel. God was still indeed in it all, and yet he allowed Rehoboam to choose as he willed, and the Lord is faithful to bring about his word and fulfill it. No one can thwart God's plans. Again, keep in mind the faithfulness of God, uh, the truth of God's word and how it is that no one can stop his will from taking place. Verse 16, as we continue, says, And when all Israel saw that the king did not listen to them, the people answered the king, What portion do we have in David? We have no inheritance in the son of Jesse. Uh, To your tents, O Israel, look now to your own house, David. So Israel went to their tents, but Rehoboam reigned over the people of Israel who lived in the cities of Judah. Then King Rehoboam sent Adoram, who was taskmaster over the forced labor. And all Israel stoned him to death with stones. And King Rehoboam hurried to mount his chariot to flee to Jerusalem. So Israel has been in rebellion against the house of David to this day. And when all Israel heard that Jeroboam had returned, they sent and called him to the assembly and made him king over all Israel. There was none that followed the house of David, but the tribe of Judah only. So, Immediately, we see how it was that as Rehoboam did not take the counsel of the elders, um, the the advisors of King Solomon, um, he did not listen to the people. Um, He promised that he would make their life miserable and he would discipline them harshly. Immediately, the ten northern tribes of Israel tore away from him and rejected Rehoboam. And instead, we will see how it is that they made Jeroboam, their king. You see, Rehoboam, in all of this, perhaps he didn't consider uh, their words at all. He took them lightly. And Rehoboam immediately sent Adoram to, to go make good on what he had promised, to go collect taxes. And they killed him. They murdered him. Sending a very strong message to Rehoboam that they will not allow themselves to be governed by him. Done deal. We won't do it. It it seems as if Rehoboam, he's still in his foolishness and in his folly, thought that he could do and say whatever he wanted, and yet the people had enough. They were not going to subject themselves to the heavy yoke of Rehoboam. And they made it very clear where they stood. So he quickly withdrew. Upon hearing about what happened to Adoram, he quickly withdrew and he returned to Jerusalem to prepare for war. Verse 21, let's continue. It says, When Rehoboam came to Jerusalem, he assembled all the house of Judah and the tribe of Benjamin, 180,000 chosen warriors, to fight against the house of Israel, to restore the kingdom to Rehoboam, the son of Solomon. But the word of God came to Shammai, the man of God, Say to Rehoboam, the son of Solomon, king of Judah, and to all the house of Judah and Benjamin, and to the rest of the people, Thus says the Lord, You shall not go up or fight against your relatives, the people of Israel. Every man return to his home, for this thing is from me. So they listened to the word of the Lord and went home again according to the word of the Lord. Now, the word did not come to Rehoboam right away. The Lord actually allowed him to fully assemble 180,000 warriors. He allowed them to assemble and to begin to prepare or establish themselves to go against the northern kingdom. But God had other plans, and he told Rehoboam that he was not to advance and not to go to war against Israel, their brothers. But this man, Shemaiah, uh, it's wonderful. This is the only time that he's mentioned. He's never been mentioned before. This is the only time that he's, he's mentioned because he's not mentioned again even after this. This was the one single moment that he was addressed, that he was referred to in Scripture. The only place. For all you do for the Lord. Perhaps he's readying you for one big task. But up to that point, he's doing a work in and through you. He's still 
doing many things to be blessed, to be glorified, to bless others, to work through you. But sometimes we have in and of ourselves something to do. There's something that the Lord wants us to do. I, I had to think about that because Shemaiah is that person. He's considered, he's referred to as a man of God. Yet we know nothing about Shemaiah. I thought about how it was that, you know, I, I don't know. For us, the only big thing that we could do is to serve the Lord. That is the greatest thing that we can do. There's nothing greater than serving the Lord. But for us, we ought to make sure that we prepare ourselves, that we're always ready and willing to be used when called on to do so. That we prepare ourselves. Study to show yourself approved to God, a worker who has no need to be ashamed, rightly handling the word of truth. We, we are to understand the word and know how to apply it, um, to be able to give good sound counsel and to lead others in the word. If we're parents or kids, if we're here amongst each other, that when we learn of situations that perhaps we can give good sound counsel, but we should always be prepared. If we're teachers in children's ministry, that we're teaching good sound doctrine with youth, men's, women's, all of that. You never know when it's a Shemaiah type of a moment. It's just one big moment that God has divinely ordained for us to fulfill for his glory. Be prepared for that moment. You see, this man was used to turn back 180,000 warriors who were ready to fight their own. This was a man of God who was ready and willing to speak and be used to turn back 180,000 men and fulfill the Lord's will, saying, this is not the Lord's will. Turn back. This is of God. This, this is a work that God's doing, even in the midst of it. God said no and said it through this man of God. You never know when it's a Shemaiah type of a moment. Always be ready. Verse 25, let's continue. It says, Then Jeroboam built Shechem in the hill country of Ephraim and lived there, and he went out from there and built Penuel. And Jeroboam said in his heart, Now the kingdom will turn back to the house of David if this people go up to offer sacrifices in the temple of the Lord at Jerusalem. Then the heart of this people will turn again to their Lord, to Rehoboam, king of Judah, and they will kill me and return to Rehoboam, king of Judah. So the king took counsel and made two calves of gold. And he said to the people, You have gone up to Jerusalem long enough. Behold your gods, O Israel, who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. And he set one in Bethel, and the other he put in Dan. <clears throat> Sounds familiar, right? Uh, Jeroboam, as we see here, Jeroboam, he started to, to build the northern king, kingdom. He built out Shechem as the capital of the northern kingdom, and then he built Penuel. But Jeroboam quickly revealed that he, that, that he feared that the people's hearts would turn back to Rehoboam. Um, if he allowed them to go back to Jerusalem to worship there, then what he feared is that he would lose that position amongst the people. If they went to Jerusalem to offer sacrifices and worship there, um, then perhaps he would completely lose them. And so what did he do? Well, he built Dan and he built Bethel in northern Israel to serve as places for them to offer sacrifices and worship the Lord. Uh, this <clears throat> word here where it says that Jeroboam took counsel. You know, actually, if you, if you go back to the original, you look exactly at what that means. Did he, so did he take counsel of the elders? Or who, <laughs> is he taking further counsel of, uh, with, uh, with the, his peers? Who is he taking counsel with? This is crazy because he digressed even further. He not only did not take counsel of his peers or anyone else, but this means that he took counsel of himself. 
he took counsel of himself. He counseled with his own mind. And what did his mind produce? What did his heart produce? Two golden calves in alternate places of worship. Oh, that's wonderful. He went from rejecting the counsel of the elders, receiving the counsel of his peers, and taking counsel with himself, and this is what it produced. Behold, Israel, these are the gods that delivered you from out of the land of Egypt. Um, Jeroboam, if I can take you back to Exodus chapter 32, we can take a look at how this went for the Israelites. It, it didn't go well for them. You, you see, back in Exodus chapter 32, Aaron tried this. You remember Aaron, right? Moses was up on Mount Sinai receiving the law. But down below, the people grew anxious. They thought, Moses has abandoned us. What are you going to do for us, Aaron? Perhaps Aaron Aaron counseled with himself too. And boom, out of his heart came out a golden calf. He told Moses that actually, I don't know what happened. They gave me the gold. I threw it into the fire. And this is what came out. You see, even looking back. If you were to look back, you deal with certain, you guys deal with details in your lives, right? You can look back on scripture. For the answer to all of those things. To get good sound counsel. And yet we can be like the Israelites to where we reject, we neglect, we ignore that which is plain to see in Scripture. They had this. They knew this well. They knew what happened in Exodus 32 when Aaron formed this golden calf. The people knew better, but they disregarded history and what God warned them not to do many times before. What Jeroboam did was offer the people the ability to observe rituals conveniently. Substituting God with some man-made idol. God had promised Jeroboam to secure his kingdom. Remember that if, and this was conditional, if he observed his word, nothing could break that promise but Jeroboam. It was conditional. And because of Jeroboam's fear, he was tempting the people to sin. It was February 25th, 2019. Very special day. Rachel Reed, Robert and Leo Dell, Modesto and Michelle Solis, Bettina and myself, along with many other brothers and sisters, visited the ancient ruins of Dan in the north, northern country of Israel. I have those pictures. If you want to see those pictures, they're amazing. And I remember seeing the ruins, and we had a study there on this First cha- Kings chapter 12 in these verses right here. Opening up scripture. This is, this is the place right here. This is the place. Right here. Thinking, wow. This is the place where Jeroboam, that he had set it up as a place of worship. You kind of look around thinking, where were the two golden calves? Where did he place them? It's a solemn reminder of the idolatry that the people of Israel fell to under the weak leadership of Jeroboam. You see, Jeroboam was not interested in the spiritual well-being of the people. He was not interested in being obedient to God who had given him the ten tribes, but instead, he was only interested in maintaining power and control over the people, and he made it convenient for them to worship. This was a, you could say at this point, he was a politician. He was a one who just followed the whatever... The popular vote said that's what he would do. But he was guarding his own power. He was guarding his own control and position over the people. 
When government tells you to do something that is against the word of God and offers a substitute to biblical worship, what do you do? I'm going to give you some more scripture in regards to that. What do you, scripture addresses that very detail, in very detailed, uh, very detailed fashion. You see, the golden calves were not an accurate representation of God. Perhaps Jeroboam was thinking, this is a, a representation of your God. No, they're not. Not even close. In fact, it's a direct violation of the first two commandments of the Ten Commandments found in Exodus chapter 20. We know that, right? But the king offered it. The question is, what did the people do? Because anybody can offer you anything. And the temptation is not a sin. It's just temptation. But can you discern whether it's true or whether it's false? That is key. Well, verse 30, and let's wrap things up. Then this, this thing became a sin for the people, for the people went as far as Dan to be before one. He also made temples on high places and appointed priests from among all the people who were not of the Levites. And Jeroboam appointed a feast on the 15th day of the eighth month, like the feast that was in Judah. And he offered sacrifices on the altar. So he did in Bethel, sacrificing to the, uh, to the calves that he made. And he placed in Bethel the priests of the high places that he had made. He went up to the altar that he had made in Bethel on the 15th day in the month, in the eighth month, in the month that he had devised from his own heart. And he instituted a feast for the people of Israel and went up to the altar to make offerings. This is, this is a sad commentary on the people and Jeroboam. Absolutely. This was, by the way, something that we would know today as a government-run religion. With everything from false temples to false priests. The government placed those priests in place. Jeroboam did. Who were to be the priests? Anyone outside of the Levites? No. This was a form of religion that he was putting together. False temples. False priests. With empty sacrifices. And Jeroboam even acted as a high priest and offered sacrifices himself on behalf of the people. As if he placed himself in that place. He made him, he's a, he's a self-appointed high priest. And Dan and Bethel were only two of many locations Jeroboam made available to the people. There were many high places throughout the northern kingdom where they could go and worship. You know what that is? That's a religion of convenience. A religion of convenience. If we're not careful, this year, God has not given us a spirit of fear, but a power and love and self-control. Discipline. Okay? I know that the government is going to officially open up in California 100% on June 15th. Right? If we wait for government to allow us to come back to church, then we're not we're following a different God. Okay? We're following a false God. We're following a God that the government has put together because that is a religion of convenience. And so many people, Barna Research says that 30% of those who have walked away from church will never come back. 30%. 30%. That's not good. I pray that the Lord would add to the church 30, 50, 100 fold. That we would have some gen genuine followers of Jesus Christ who are not filled with fear, but are filled with faith. 
This was a religion of convenience right here in Scripture, in the Old Testament. When government is offering a convenient religion that opposes a biblical manner of worship, we are obligated as believers in Christ and lovers of God to disobey government, reject their offer, quote-unquote, and obey God in the manner of worshiping Him according to Him. There's no other choice. That's it. Period. That's a slippery slope. You see, this became a sin for the people as they willingly participated in these festivals and sacrifices in the manner in which Jeroboam led them. I'm going to take you to another place in Scripture, still the Old Testament. Let's go to Ezekiel chapter 5, and this is pretty much it, and then we'll conclude. Ezekiel chapter 5, verse 5, because this isn't the only area where this is addressed, this issue. Ezekiel chapter 5 and verse 5. Thus says the Lord God, This is Jerusalem. I have set her in the center of the nations with countries all around her. And she has rebelled against my rules by doing wickedness more than the nations and against my statutes more than the countries all around her. For they have rejected my rules and have not walked in my statutes. Therefore, thus says the Lord God, because you are more turbulent than the nations that are all around you and have not walked in my statutes or obeyed my rules and have not even acted according to the rules of the nations that are Around all around you. Therefore, thus says the Lord God, Behold, I, even I, am against you, and I will execute judgments in your midst in the sight of the nations. And because of all your abominations, I will do with you what I have never yet done, and the like of which I will never do again. I'm going to stop there. And I just wanted to refer to that for this reason. God, God is love and he's merciful, he's compassionate, he's, he's patient. But he's just. And he warns his people over and over again. Don't do as the nations do. In fact, they weren't even doing as the other nations would do. They were just all on a whole different level. Defiling themselves. They were... Uh, committing abominations. And, and so that's why it's very, very important for us to consider the word of God, to take good sound counsel and to follow through with it, to, make not, to, to not make a religion for, uh, for ourselves in our own image, but we should and we ought to, according to God's word, obey the Lord because it's in that way that we demonstrate our love for him and consider others more than ourselves to serve one another. You see, many people create their own religion in their own heart, just like Jeroboam, according to their own ideas and their own interpretation. It ends up being a religion of self-worship and convenience. Instead, we ought to fear God and obey his commandments. For this is man's all. Father, we, <clears throat> as we consider, Lord, these verses that we covered in 1 Kings chapter 12 and others, Lord, I pray that you would continue to strengthen your people, Lord, that we would be, uh, Lord, followers of Jesus Christ, disciples, that we would demonstrate our love toward you that we would not take counsel of ourselves, but we would take counsel of you. And we would surround ourselves with people, true friends, who would give us sound counsel, even if at times, Lord, it would cause wounds, it would be painful. Lord, I pray that we would discern good friends and, Lord, that we would, we would be grateful for them. I pray that we wouldn't be foolish like Rehoboam, 
Lord, but, but that we would be able to discern that which is true from that which is false. That we would not only honor you with our lips, but also with our lives. And so, Father, we thank you, Lord, for being patient. We thank you for your compassion and mercy. And we do ask you that you would fill us with your Holy Spirit. That you would help us to find rest in Jesus Christ. For his yoke is easy and his burden is light. May we find rest and peace in our Lord Jesus Christ. In whose name we pray.